Greetings and salutations, all you beautiful people, and welcome to another episode of Art of the Beholder, a show dedicated to all things eclectic in the world of art, where we do deep dives into deep cuts and help you understand why damn things matter. I'm your host, Novo Day, and today we're going to be talking about art and music, focusing on the rock band, uh, God, the, the legacy that is queens of the stone age to hash it out i'm joined by my favorite king of the stone age and that is mr church philip welcome to the show man nova thank you so much for having me yet again great to be back <laughs> you're welcome i gotta yeah i gotta keep i gotta keep they keep pulling me back in they try out. to get out yeah we're like the mafia we try to try to get out try to take a break and we can't we won't let you nope you're in it to win it uh, so guys, we're going to do things a little differently today. Uh, I'm going to give the, the reins to Mr. Church and let him, uh, kind of take, um, lead here. So Philip, only uh, can see I'm doing like a Mr. Burns kind of finger motion right now. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, so, uh, Philip, um, give us the thesis, man. Why are we talking about Queens today? Yeah. Queens, the stone age is a fantastic modern rock band that is weirdly both underground and mainstream enough hmm. um it is insanely like collaborative uh the way that a lot of music has been like collective you you know it almost harkens back to like the 70s where you had like certain supergroups like your traveling wilburys and like other people and stuff and so just having been a fan of them for so long watching queens of the stone age go from like an underground desert rock <laughs> kind of experience um stoner rock yeah know, stoner rock to, desert rock label yeah and then you know again they've they've become interestingly like towing the mainstream line for a while uh yet maintaining a lot all their musical integrity um so like i said it's got it's involved like dozens of musicians at this oh, point yeah. in the 20 oh, plus man. year run um and you know there's that now famous saying uh, it's really hard to trace it back to any one person whether it was jim morrison of the doors gene simmons of kiss or billy corgan of smashing pumpkins uh people say that rock is dead well i present you queens of the stone age uh joshua <laughs> homie's rock band of over 20 years is um, it homie or just home i'm almost positive like, it's homie okay um, i feel like i've heard it too i've heard it so many different ways I, I i feel like that's how i've heard him say it but i also just could be wrong because i almost never hear him say it and i just like never looked it back up <laughs> well okay we'll be it'll be homie and he's, just, for he's the, the homie show. yeah he's the he's homie, homie. oh i like that okay but yeah uh, they have such a unique approach uh i love it and it just it's it stands out to me they've just been a mainstay of my musical tastes for well over would a you say it uh would you say it's shaped who you are musically yeah actually i would i, I would okay um because that's big if someone has that kind of influence on you as an artist, right? Yeah, I'd, I would definitely say so. I mean, um, you know, well, at least that, that to me is overall the thesis is like they've actually uh, done an incredible job of keeping uh, rock alive. And then they're a very notable modern rock band in, in, in the age of very like, again, like radio and, and like pop rock kind of stuff. And they've and just now been streaming. It. Yeah. Yeah. And and like, so they've just been killing it for nearly 30 years at this point. And they, they've, yeah, I, I agree. And they've always kind of had their own lane. Like every great group has a sound that they help to establish. And though they can sound like other things, they still have that signature sound and staple that we've grown to love. So we, that's why we're talking about them today. But before we can discuss, of course, we need a little background so it's they were formed in uh palm desert california in 1996 by vocalist guitarist and the what i'm calling the only common denominator throughout their yeah. entire career which is mr josh homie um their current lineup so yeah just like uh, philip said they've gone through a ton of different lineups um but it, it's clear that josh has always been the guiding light here right the the vessel from beginning middle uh and hopefully not end i feel like they they've been I, i've read that there there's still another album on the horizon so so yeah. maybe they're not at the end of their career uh their current lineup consists of troy von leowen Michael Schumann, Dean Frittata, and John Theodore. As a drummer, I got to make a little, do a quick Novo um, tangent corner here. As a drummer, John Theodore is a big fan of us drummers because he is the original drummer for the Mars Volta. Uh, so you can hear him Ooh, on the first also LP. Love. Yeah. Yeah. Their first LP, which is arguably I the best uh deloused in the comatorium he uh um, he just took yeah prog rock and latin prog rock which is a very unique 
um, kind of subgenre of what prog rock can be, and he took it to a level never seen before. He had help though. This uh, a lot of people don't know this, but the album was produced by Rick Rubin, so um, they had Legend. a lot of help. To, yeah, a lot of help to get to that place. So let's uh, let's dive in. Uh, before we do, of course, we need a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Liquid IV. Guys, if you don't know what Liquid IV is, well, buckle up because I'm going to throw you a game changer. Liquid IV is a hydration multiplier that not only tastes great, but is a non-GMO electric light drink mix. Powered by cellular transport technology to deliver hydration to the body faster and more efficiently than water can just do alone. One stick contains three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks with five essential vitamins. Now, I pride myself on telling you about things that I either already like or just use in my everyday life. And I have to say, I've actually been a fan of Liquid IV for a long, long time now. I use it for everything from, you know, just long runs to stay in shape, all those late nights with those after hours or just when I'm feeling a little dehydrated. I turned to it so it could just, my God, set me straight, make me feel like a million bucks again, and just get me ready for the day. So please head on over to their website. That's liquid-iv.com to check out their amazing line of products. And get this, when you use promo code Art of the Beholder, all one word, you'll get 20% off your order. Now, if you need a little direction on where to start, I recommend Lemon Lime. Guys, you're going to love it won't be disappointed so please give it a shot and get more fuel for life's adventures now back to the show so uh i first want to talk um i first want before we just dive into the art which is as we do with these these band bio episodes we just got to go through their discography before before we do that i want to talk a little bit about style you know since in the thesis we we had you know we talked about um, the fact that uh, if you think something happened to rock, look no further than, than Queens of the Stone Age, and they have that signature sound. Um, uh, Homie has called it robot rock because of the repetitive, the nature of their riffs and stuff like that. I, I don't know. Yeah. I feel like he's he's um, <laughs> as much as he's God. He has turned into quite the the rock star character, caricature almost uh, archetype. Um, but I, I feel like he's he's being a little humble here i feel like it, their their sound is so much richer and more complex than just calling it a robot rock right so speak a little bit uh, give the good people a little uh, a little uh, history lesson on the style that is the queens yeah i mean josh uh is big on identifying with um you know par parts of california uh and being kind of from like the desert so it's part of why he also it, it kind of calls it d uh, desert rock and Mm -hmm. Part of how you also mentioned earlier that it's known as stoner rock, which is to me that it, the better descriptor is stoner rock because the the repetitive nature of some of the riffs, like Josh is a riff machine. So, so many mm -hmm. of their songs, it's not your typical, again, it's not just typical like power chord type stuff. A lot of times it's more like certain riffs um, that get, you know, just chugged along through the whole way uh, through the song. And it has very interesting melodic components that are then put over top of it because again, it's very guitar heavy. Uh, there's always at least two guitars uh, going on in this band with Josh, again, almost pretty much always being the lead, uh, but also being able to do plenty of like cool rhythm shit at the same time. He's again, he's a pretty damn interesting guitarist. So I think that's I, I think the stoner and desert rock aspect apply more and especially early on in, in like basically their first album just called Queens of the Stone Age. It feels more deserty in an interesting way in that. It literally sounds like it could just like yeah that came from like a dry heat i don't know like how else to explain it but it just <laughs> it sounds like yeah um, yeah I, I, I could see that impressive yeah. but like i mean that and just in a way it's so atmospheric like it literally sounds like it, it it's almost like it's in its force of nature to an extent or something um, <laughs> i want to uh let's dive deeper into um josh homie's uh signature signature guitar sound and um his um, how should I put it? Approach, um, style, and uh, just musicality. Because he, um, as much as yeah, you, you, you put it very well. He's a, he's a riff riff master. Um, he does solo, and he's famous for also writing really strange figures. To be honest, I mean in a good way. But like the the guitar figures he he writes, the solos are. <laughs> Uh, it's very much its own thing. Um, almost like uh, other famous strange soloists are um, the lead guitarist for someone like Soundgarden. If you really like dissect yeah. those guitar solos, they're kind of weird. So, like on one way, they don't or fit. Even to harken back to Mars Volta again, too. 
Oh yeah, God, uh, that's uh, and talk Omar... about like a non-scaler. Yeah, Om- Omar yeah. Rodriguez Lopez. Yeah, Omar Rodriguez Lopez and uh, Cedric. Yeah, those those guys are in their own lane too. I've actually, um, I've been, I I've written the outline. I just have not recorded it yet. It's been a little busy here with NDP. Uh, but uh, one of these days I'll do. I'm going to do uh, a show just on Deloused. But yeah, yeah, the this the same thing. I mean, like, what what do you like? When you hear his guitar lines, you know, what what do what do you think about? He intentionally makes things its own Josh Oddity kind of version. He actually there's a <laughs> there's a really cool interview that I enjoyed watching one time where he was explaining how, you know, he didn't just want to be playing like the pentatonic or the blues scale or whatever. And he would take these things and, and remove certain notes. He would yeah. literally just make a point of taking things out and and by that he's adding like just a, an element of you know it's like okay well something's missing something seems like different and it's very unique in that way and so it's just weird how he did like he that's that's one of his many ways that he joshes it up uh is he removed notes <laughs> like from that. from typical scales <laughs> so, it come, see, so, he, so that's that's part of what gives it such a signature sound in that it's like yeah and it's not your typical note progressions and so when you've already removed that that sort of makes your brain recalculate how you sort of write, you know, like uh, a melody or a solo, um, you know, just re uh, envision what it, it, you know, what, what the sound is, is going to be. Um, it so can, I, it can be, you're right. Yeah. yeah. So I think, and, and then of course he also loves, uh, even if he does do something like your typical, just power or like root chord or whatever, he'll still do some wonky shit where he'll take like his pinky and throw it on like a weird fret and add like a seven. Yeah. He there. does these weird hammer ons and like it's, uh, yeah. The man uses his whole damn he, hand. He has all his, the time. Cause he's got, yeah, he hands. has this. I mean, there's really, there's really no other way to put it. Like he just has this signature Josh Tomey, signature style you know and it's it's prevalent throughout all of their their albums i feel like if if he he has to i mean that's the reason i mean it's his band so that's the reason he's the common denominator and has that signature queen sound another thing too is that he he really actually pays very specific attention to even to things like the strumming patterns of Mm. how if he really wants it to be a certain type of powerful he'll make sure it's all downstrokes if he wants it to be um, like bigger and more dynamic, he'll do a combination of down and up. Sometimes it'll be just up. Like he, he does a, he, he pulls off of so many varied, uh, inspirations that you really wouldn't as, uh, assume that some, again, like rando dude that like is very much in like a very rock band from the desert would, would be pulling from. So even the way he does like bends and ha- like you said, like hammer-ons, he's taken, all of the regular aspects, uh, and, and his tool belt is very diverse. So that's another reason why it comes across as very unique because he's not just a one trick pony. He is actually a very, very good guitarist in that his, it's like he put his whole mentality into it. Uh, and it's to the point where it's not just some kind of gimmick of like, tee I removed a couple notes from, the, <laughs> from a scale like, oh, I'm so Josh. Like, no. He's he, very meticulous. Yeah, he, he's, it's yeah. incredibly thought There's a out. lot of detail. Yeah, exactly. so yeah, that's the tricky thing is it, it comes across as very simple and repetitive sometimes. But when you also take that time to sit there and listen to it again, especially if you're like a headphones or good sound system kind of person, you'll right. notice all those nuances. So because the rest of it is so repetitive, it opens up to the nuance. Right. It's 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 deceptive. Right. So on, on the surface, it seems simple, but you you start to dig and you see how complex it is quite quickly. Uh, so that, I feel like that's a good segue to uh, diving in. Let's uh, let's talk about the first LP Queens of the Stone Age, 1998. Uh, the first thing that stood out to me is um, is that grit, like like the grit and the sound, the production. Yeah. I, I think later on, I think in the beginning, that was probably a product of them figuring things out them you know um writing songs uh, recording and producing and yeah slightly lower budget like exactly. probably not as many guitars or as many amps and all that stuff like yeah i mean they were still young like josh had only been in i think like one other band or so before that and again this already like 30 years Kios ago yeah Kios or Kios, whatever and so uh, yeah. he's already not even that old and again this is nearly 30 years ago now so yeah right. it's like you know, he, how, how old could he really have been? Like, if you think about, okay, well, Beatles, same same shit. Like, they were maybe 18 and 20-ish. Like, they had a very uh, an age range. So he was still a young dude, you know? So he's also just yeah. starting out. The sound was more contained. Like, the album's pretty consistent. Oh, yeah, very consistent. Uh, to me, it had, I wouldn't even call it a stoner rock sound. To me, it was more of that, like, garage rock sound. You know, like, Absolutely. it just had that grit, that 
that raw rock and roll sound. It's solid. I mean, you can you can clearly see the evolution as they went from album to album, especially when we get to the third LP. Um, but a, a, probably the big standout to me was um, some of the, the last two tracks, uh, Give the Mule What He Wants, and I Was a Teenage Hand Model. The, was, yeah, those two are fan. I love, and that's, <laughs> so that, I love that even from the first album, uh, Josh has a, a big thing about um, closing tracks. His closing yeah. tracks are always very like, a lot of times like a really awesome, slow, like long drawn out kind of jam thing. Um, so the teenage hand model thing is also like, it kind of goes with that and it just gets better. But yeah, the album just goes all over the place. Um, they, well, so the sound isn't as varied as some of the later things. Like it's still consistently garagey. You still have a good amount of variety among the songs. And I like that kind of how you mentioned earlier too, with like the drummer, he has a really good knack for picking good damn drummers. I think the drummers are like really important. So, um, well, yeah, Dave Grohl is a perfect example of a yeah, damn Dave good is, yeah, Dave has been on his, a handful of his, his projects. best collaboration. I or, or his best collaboration. I will say that the drums here was Alf, Alfredo, Alfredo, Alfredo Hernandez, uh, whereas Josh did literally everything else. Yeah, keyboard, bass, fucking everything, production, um, and and yeah, I think I think part of the reason he calls it robot rock too is they're just what I call not afraid to stay in the pocket and and just hold on a groove instead of and what i mean by that we talked about that a little bit in our um the war on drugs uh, episode where there doesn't have to be you know soloing or these like epic parts on in and so many dynamic changes sometimes they just find a pocket each of the um the instruments you know the the parts the lines and they just kind of stay there and they stay there for 30 seconds 40 seconds sometimes a minute and and in in music land that's an eternity that's a long time to just stay like kind of hanging on a groove but you know the queens aren't afraid to do which is really nice you know i i love bands that aren't afraid they don't feel like they have to just keep throwing fucking special effects you know yeah don't you don't need to try too hard it's going to come across as cheesy or like a gimmick or something Right. Um, which is again, so one of my favorite, it's like they know what they're good at and they've always just done that. They've just also grown over time. So, I mean, yeah, this first album may not blow anybody away, but I still like yeah. coming in the first track. Um, it's you know, a prologue. Like, yeah. Regular you know. John is, is pretty cool. Um, and another interesting thing, uh, about this is again, he's, he's been a collaborator and just like a weird underground sort of music scene mainstay for so long that even at this point, he was already doing like side tracks with other people. And so for mm-hmm. instance, Avon is the second song on this album. And it actually was first like formulated uh, in what's called the desert sessions, which was mm. uh, started around the same time. They still and do the desert sessions they, too. And like, they to do. It's crazy. Yeah. So yeah, again, he's just like, the man is so dedicated to music. It gets, it's, it makes a lot of sense why he's such friends with uh, Dave Grohl. Uh, right, again, like yeah. Dave Grohl's also just through and through lifelong musician of just I will make as much awesome music as I can for as long as I'm alive. Like there's so many like, uh, you know, it, it just goes to show how small of a world a lot of these circles are. And uh, I'm actually glad you brought that up because when I was doing my homework for this show, time and time again, I was like, I know that name. I know that name. And then that yeah. would lead me down some other rabbit hole. Uh, I mean, his, his rhythm guitarist, Troy, he is, she, he was also the rhythm guitarist for, um, a perfect circle. Yep. That's how I, and then later, I love perfect circle. Oh yeah, me too. And, uh, pause their original bass player and violin player, um, showed up on later Queens albums to play violin and things uh-huh. like that. Um, pause being from, a perfect circle. Yeah. Um, so there was this all this cross. Oh, I love when I when I find these these little moments of cross pollination things like that, and uh, that leads us that leads us to rated R. Um, their second LP, Drugs Two Thousand. <laughs> uh, oh, why do you say that? So it's all, he, he does not make it a secret. Josh is a big fan of drugs. Again, the man is just rock and roll through and through. He, um, he oozes rock and roll. And oh my this, gosh. This That's album, why I was like, he's an archetype. Yeah. You know? to, to, to this one, to, to this album is definitely For to good me, and bad sometimes. Yeah. He's been this in the one's news a little wild. bit. This one is all uh, over the place. Um, it's, it's even more diverse uh, than the first one and is even stranger. So like literally Monsters in the Parasol, for instance, uh, it's like right in the middle of this album. 
mm-hmm. is one of the most like obviously dr- like just go try to like go back and pay attention to the lyrics. It's legitimately yeah. actually the just they were tripping balls and he wrote down <laughs> lyrics and so they just made like a song out of it. Yeah, that then, sounds yeah, sounds that's even right. again the first desert sessions was the same thing. There were no lyrics. It was just them. They all got to the ranch. They just did a bunch of hallucin- hallucinogenics and then recorded the whole jam session. Uh, but then, like after that, they were like, "Okay, we let's let's do like more, but little maybe a little less drugs." And that's You're when right. they started doing like actual songs and like so many different singers. And again, just probably like like forty different artists have been on Desert Sessions alone. So again, like Josh knows apparently everybody. And so yeah, Rated R is like letting the drugs expand your mind. Uh, this you know, <laughs> and and uh, there's some still really great songs though. Like I I personally think that this is their weakest album. Um, but I will it also have to has, respectfully it has some disagree with you. Has, uh, when we when we get there, I'll tell you what I think is the well, weakest. Well, no, okay, sorry. I I I might know which one you're talking about, and I might change yeah. my tune later. But yeah, um, either way, I still love a handful of the songs on here. I still love. I Lost I, I thought it was still solid. It was it was like and the fade um, is uh, is one of my favorites, and it's like one of the few songs that's ever been in a major key. <laughs> It's like Queens. Uh, I, I describe it like you know. Uh, do you remember the band Garbage? Yeah, you know, the first the first LP um, to the second LP. The reason the second LP was called 2.0 is because they just kind of pushed everything from the first LP further than that, and so it's it was just really a sequel, if you will, to that first LP. That's how I think of Rated R. Is they kind of just pushed the the sound that they were developing, and they just kind of it it was so it was Queens LP one. 2.0 to me that's how i look at it and we did get some you know you know hits or or singles feel good hit of the summer obviously was their first quote-unquote single hit if you were to give it that obviously that's true. the next album we got we got the big hits like the international fucking oh, claim hits yeah that's uh, but i i do like i agree i think like uh to for me uh, uh quick and to the pointless it was r- really great track i love i i kind of fell in love with that lightning song the instrumental stuff and i think i lost my my headache the last track again so just like you were saying um in the first um in the talking about the first lp that that discussion he has he loves that last track on the, the close, album. yeah he, the closing likes, track is yeah. is a dear dear thing to closers Josh. are important to him but yeah and, and you're and it's it's similar stuff pushed further mm-hmm. um but again i feel like maybe because the drugs were influencing their their minds a little too much that like it just <laughs> and not enough of it holds up the same that i can still put the first album on and basically listen to it like all the way through uh loving it whereas the second one just it it just diverges a little bit too much for me yeah. here and there um, and I mean, hell, the first one, Feel Good Hit of the Summer, the lyrics are pretty much just nicotine, Valium, Vicodin, marijuana, ecstasy, and alcohol, cocaine. <laughs> you know, it's like, they're not, again, he's not even hiding it, and he never has. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, that's, so it's just yeah. like, maybe one or two less, buddy. And I think that's what <laughs> led to, um, which granted more collaboration, because Songs for the Deaf, the next one, it, like you were just saying, it that was their big, it exploded. Yeah, that was the, the then that, that's the towing the, of the mainstream that I kind of mentioned earlier. Where I bet you so many people would be like, "Do you remember that one weird music video where there's like dudes in a car and they hit a deer and then the deer like wakes up and takes the car?" You know, and like they're in like a weird laser background. <laughs> I do. Yeah, right. I love it's that like, video. It's I, a I cool video. That was great. Yeah, and of course, like that happens to be one of their most famous, if not their most famous song, is "No One Knows" off of that. So, I mean, I don't know if that's a it's a proper segue. I think it's a uh, perfect segue. Is, let's, is, yeah, let's go again, right into R, Songs for the Deaf. Not the strongest entry, but Songs for the Deaf deserves so much time that I think, think we need to go ahead and jump in. Um, it's unique for so many reasons. Again, it's got some of the biggest freaking hits. It's got No One Knows, Go With The Flow. Um, God, yeah, the, um, no One Knows, Go With The Flow. I actually think First first It Giveth is a big one first for me. First Giveth is amazing. I mean, the whole thing is actually, it's nothing but bangers, if you ask me. I even, re- honestly, um, the more I listen to uh, Songs for the Deaf... The song, not the real song for the deaf, but last the second to last track, "Song for the Deaf," is there's an epicness to it. It's like, amazing. It's so. I mean, it, this is like they're comfortably numb to me. Like there's this this huge epic, fucking um, masterpiece of a composition. I don't yeah. know. I like that it goes from th- something so hard and intense because there's also that part. I believe it's the bassist, um, their their former bassist at the time, Nick Oliveri who does these amazing screams in the background for the last like third of the song. They go through like the bridge 
and then they rip into some like like heavy kind of shit. The first track, you think I ain't worth a dollar when he comes in with yeah. that scream? Yeah, that's because awesome. there was that was a that was a little production trick, um, you know, because it was mixed low, so people turn the volume up, and then it goes right into that scream, well, and actually and it just hits you. To go to go even further with that, the part of the trick too is that this album is unique to Queens of the Stone Age, and that at least a concept album, yeah, it's yeah exactly. with the little it's interludes concept, with the whole. It's all from the radio. Yeah, uh, right. it's like exactly. a thing. So yeah, it literally begins with like uh, you know, like a fake, like, hey, this is Kip Casper coming to you from something, something. Like it's <laughs> That's perfect. Good. That's and then good. I've listened to this a you billion should do, times. You should do radio, you know, uh, like as a side gig. I you know, I've thought about it maybe someday, but uh I'm podcasting. I guess this podcast is 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 is, right? is modern day radio. It basically yeah. is. Yeah. Um but yeah, you don't it, have like I, the radio voice, you're using your <laughs> real voice. Which um, sounds good. You have a great voice. Oh, thank so. you. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Um, you're welcome. But yeah, so in the the closing song on this one too like again slow not as long as some mosquito but still song. yeah mosquito yeah. song is awesome i love the use of a 12 string i guess that's guitar. a hidden track that's not technically i guess i'm so used to listening to the spotify version of it song for the deaf is technically supposed to be the last track true you're right song. yeah because yeah. back if you actually had the cds too same thing it was like a hidden closer um but yeah you're right the spotify does break it out as its own thing but track. yeah um yeah and and I mean, but yeah, I just to me, this album is near perfection as far as because it's it's hard. Agreed. It is hard and yeah. heavy and it just slaps, as the kids put it. Yeah, um, I feel like they, everything came together. They and clearly had Dave a vision Grohl, for itself. And Dave Grohl again, like, added this the is drums, also one. Yeah, the amazing like, drums again. Like this, the, these are studied all the time. No one knows kind of would probably not have been nearly so awesome had it not had such like the like all those fills like right the just the badass Dave Grohlness to it. So I mean, just through and through, like this was collaboration at its finest. Um, because the bassist again, was also deceptive. still crushing it. Yeah, yeah, it's still deceptive. Like I think on paper and like if, for just like you know, average listeners, not us, you know, they're, they're gonna, they're gonna enjoy the, the rock elements for rock's sake. But I mean, they, they throw in like odd time signatures. They do a lot of weird things when you actually dissect I, yeah, it. I like that hanging tree messes with a five, four. I love when people do yeah. a five, four, a good five, four people can do three, three and three, four, even go time. with the flow, the, that clack, clack, clack. Clack, clack, yeah. clack. Da, na, 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 you know, that's, that's, you can count that weird, I think. Yeah. I mean, um, they, again, they just were riding some kind of amazing wave. I think that just, no, again, something about the collaboration, maybe getting Dave in the mix or just how much songwriting that their then bassist was still doing. Uh, cause that was a lot of it. Um, too, is that the band was a little this more was consistent. The, this was the on. dream team. Yeah. Yeah. And with then Nick Oliveri. And yeah. so interestingly too, uh, just to not spend too much time on this one thing here, but also, um, this is, is, is a interesting departure because speaking of Nick, uh, he got pretty much fired from the band after this. Album. Yeah. There were public allegations about him apparently doing like domestic abuse. And, uh, Josh was like, I'm not going to have my band associated with that. So Lullabies to Paralyze, their following album, which uh, again, like they always took their, I like that they always took their time. They didn't just like sign a contract and crank out albums that sounded like shit. Um, early on, it wasn't too much stuff. So again, like, yeah, Queens and then Rated R, only two years apart, relatively similar. But then they took a good couple more years and just cranked out songs for the deaf. Um, and then from there, it paces itself. So three more years after that, we got Lullabies to Paralyze. Mm -hmm. This one is also in close to a concept album, in my opinion, because there's a couple of like themes here and there, just something about the music. But Gotta I think give them the date, give the good people the date. Yeah, so this is 2005. 2005. Um, Went from 2002 to 2005. And again, this was, I, I do have to say this before we move on. I only have seen Queens once and it was during, I was in high school and it was during their uh, touring support for Songs for the Deaf. So I I, I kind of got to see him in that perfect heyday. That's awesome. And uh, yeah, it was, I'll never forget the the, the, the concert. It, they put on a great show. And uh, yeah, I, I haven't, I haven't had an opportunity to see them again, but if, if like the stars aligned, I have a bad problem. If, if like, if I've already seen someone and I'm not dying to see someone again, I'll kind of skip it unless it's like on a weekend, you know, but if it's like on a Tuesday, you right. know, fucking, I'll just be like, ah, I've uh, man, I don't want to be hung over on Wednesday. I'll just exactly. Um, exactly. No, I, so, yeah, well, I didn't get to see them until I was an adult, but it, they, it held up and it was still amazing. And obviously they had more work by then, but yeah, I mean, that would have been a great time to see them. Um, yeah. Back then again, that, that like just peak, 
But um, this one still had the like the biggest breakout hit was Little Sister, right? Again, that's yet another Little one. Little Sister that, is good. This was I. That's, uh, it, so that's not definitive of this album. It's so I know it really stands out as a single. It stands it's out on the album because I. So full disclosure, this is the one I think this is the weakest. I think yeah. this this one fell a little flat for me. Yeah, I I can I can understand that. Um. I love the start of it, actually. I love the weird, slow intro for this lullaby. Medication and everyone knows that you're insane are awesome <laughs> follow-up. Um, Tangled Up and Plaid is fun because, again, it just feels like a little jaunty the way it's just like, bam, 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 bam. I love that. Burn the Witch is fun as hell, in my opinion. Um, in my head, and like some of the other ones, like, for instance, like Broken Box, those harken back to the first album, too. That's what I love yeah. is that, again, they've always maintained their integrity. So there's some intense stuff, like from Songs for the Deaf, and then there's still just that signature Joshua homie like sound throughout. That's like it. Little Sister, you know. I think I feel like that's that. It's almost yeah, it's like it should have been like a single, like like it should have been right. Like, it should have been uh, its own single. I feel like they may have written it before or at the beginning or after these main, you know, uh, sessions. Um, it just uh, for some reason it stands out, and uh, yeah, it's definitely my favorite song on the album and it's the same reason it became a single i particularly love someone's in the wolf if you wanted to like have the perfect like creepy cabin in the woods horror movie experience through music <laughs> someone's in the wolf is it the way it comes in with this like slow organ of just like dr like interestingly sort of like droning organ and then they just come in with like the heavy intense style of guitar back from songs for the deaf of just Again, like the slow build and then just ran out. They just ripped the fucking bandaid off. And then it goes <laughs> back and forth between like these parts. And then at the end, they do this awesome thing too, where like they crank up the tempo over time and then they finish it with a just heavy drum smacks with like a faster version of it. Once they speed the tempo, like I think someone's in the wolf is like the crescendo of the album. Granted, I do also love skin on skin. There's just something like really dirty and skanky. You really like this album. I love I, I, think it's, yeah. I think it's excellent, actually. It took a while to, to grow on me, too, because it's actually the ones, you know, again, Songs for the Deaf is such a masterpiece. And the one after yeah. this, actually, too, is, is another top, top favorite for me, uh, the main LP of um, Era Vulgaris. But still, this one also is extra Josh in a way in that there's almost two long outro songs. You've got the really weird smoky groove lounge kind of you got a killer scene there man <laughs> and then you've got the actual song called long slow goodbye and they're yeah. both just slow i did like long droning goodbye yeah, yeah. it's cool yeah. again I, there's I, an epicness to that he he can write epic pieces he yeah. just he just kind of picks his battles you know it's not every song but I, yeah i i still think this one is quintessential josh and i still think it's excellent um and again it's it's like they're still trending towards a slightly longer album of having like 14, 15, 16 tracks. Cause that's something else. It's kind oh, of, Oh, they are long. Time. Yeah. They're always over an hour. Well, yeah. That, and, but, and so not in go, a bad way, no, not in a bad way at all. Again, as, especially as a super fan, I think pretty much any album is still great. Um, yeah. but then, so transitioning into era vulgaris, before um, we get there, I do have a question for you. Yeah. Um, the album artwork, what do you think of that? Because like just in the vein that I, I, I felt like this was again, not bad. Don't, don't get me wrong. It wasn't a bad album. I think just for, um, in my humble opinion, just a, a, a weaker entry, a, a, a departure, if you will. And I felt that way with the album art too. I was like, I just, I, I just, I can't, I, I just can't fall in love with it. I think it's the, it's the font. It's the color. I will say the use. font. Is, like, I just everything noticed just, It just screamed to me like, like who fucking picked this? I don't know. It just, I was like, how did this get through? You know, usually at this point it's going through a lot of different eyes and hands until it, before it gets printed. Right. There's, there's plenty of people. I know this on just a tiny level with my small NDP <laughs> team uh, of, of, of many, many eyes going over something and being like this is not working novo or whatever it is right so surely someone would have been like maybe we should have changed the font or the color or the little girl on the front because the alternate cover is kind of haunting you know it's like them in masks you know i yeah, get i get that more than the, just that's the little the someone's girl in one. the wolf feel too again like that yeah I, I i do like the alternate one and i'm still pretty okay with the one that they wound up on because Okay, there, there's still something like kind of interestingly creepy about it. it like that whole like just just like you you feel, again like 
Burn the Witch. Uh, and again, like uh, Someone's in the Wolf, The Blood is Love. Like uh, so much of it comes across as like, it's almost again like a musical love letter to horror movies or something. Mm. Um, so I know that, you're a horror buff, so I, I love horror. So again, yeah. yes, the font is weird. I, that's something I re-noticed when I was doing my homework for this too. <laughs> and I was like, I don't remember this being that stupid. Um, but it's luckily <laughs> well, things don't age album. well. Always no. too. It so, could have been cool to them at the time, and then they realized this is damn oh, drugs. God. Yeah, yeah. And that brings us to the next album, Arable This Garis. is yeah. This is two thousand seven. Ooh, so this one too was. Um, I mean, I'll agree again. Like lullabies, lullabies. <laughs> I I kind of didn't care as much at the time. I've come to appreciate it for what it is. This is the one that pulled me back after the high that was go with the flow and no one knows faded. Um, yeah. This has what could be my absolute favorite misfit love. It's the fifth track is, yeah. is might actually be my absolute favorite. You are a super song. fan, but I love this album start. Turn it on the screw is just a lovely fucking drunk carnival ride. Like, <laughs> I love the, the interlude in the middle when they start like that the, the drum stuff, you know, where it's so like doing the dizzy riff, the because they play with the, like the balance back and forth. Like the first yeah. track just has to fucking slap for Josh. Um, I thought I, this was a solid album. I, I will it, say that. Yeah. I I feel like from from the last LP, we're ramping up again because I feel from I feel like from here on out, we just had solid solid work, and um, I like I like the singles, make it with you, threes and sevens. Yeah, and um, but another, I like the the weird stuff. I even like run pick run, honestly. Yeah, you know? and, and that's another also, closer. Yeah, and that's this is one of the shorter closers. It still goes with being like an interesting kind of like relatively drawn out thing, but still, interestingly, Misfit Love is the longest. It's a shorter track. album for them. Remember, it's only yeah. forty seven minutes. It, it, this one is more concise, and that's what little thing that they've trended to over time is more of quality over quantity, perhaps. Um, and yeah. that, for all I know, that was something that their maybe their like manager or the 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 um the label itself maybe said like after. It's like, okay, guys, you put out songs for the deaf. Fantastic. Lullabies, not so great. Like, what can we do about this? I don't know. But it, it's it's more solid. It's a lot It's a lot better. I mean, again, the first song, awesome. Sick, 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 really cool. Uh, another fun thing, too, is is another highlighting of um, somewhat a little more like collaborative stuff. Like, sick, yeah. sick, sick has... Um, I like sick, sick, sick. Yeah, that's a solid I'm blanking. Track. What's his name? Yeah. Um, Strokesman, the guy from Strokes, uh, Julian Casablanca. Oh, Casablanca's, yeah, yeah. He uh, has a cool, like, sort of backing vocal part in, in that one. Again, to show the weird collabs, like they would just ask so many people to be like, "Hey, I really think you'd be yeah, great for well, this and, part," and, like, and they'd be like, um, "Sure, yeah." Reznor, Trent Reznor was in this album, uh, right. as for a little bit of some some backing, which again he comes back for later. Um, Billy Gibbons of ZZ Top, like. Again, I like that he's just through and through being like, who wants to be on this dope album I'm making? And even other people are just like, <laughs> I want to be on a Joshua Helmy album. So, um, yeah, I, I just, I love it. Um, I think this is a fantastic album with, again, like Turn It On The Screws, one of my favorites. Misfit Love, absolutely one of my favorites. And I love the fact that Threes and Sevens made it into um, Rock Band. I loved those Guitar <laughs> Hero and those damn games, man. I loved that yeah. shit. And yeah. Reason Sevens, uh, I will never forget being like, fucking Queens of the Stone Age is in a video game. I was so excited. Um, <laughs> but like another one that to me is the second to last track, River in the Road. Yeah. Something about like that that specific drum beat with the way that the riff is, like the pacing of it and everything. Again, it just has this like manicness. It piggybacks off of um, the lullabies vibe to me uh, a little bit. So again, the, the creepiness of just like that first... Um, couple of lines of just like a run darling run um i'll stall them if i can like um long parade of monsters uh god there's just uh, the, the lyrics harken back to the album prior um and that's something else too that i'll, I'll, I'll want to dive into is just so much so much of josh's lyricism between being like creepy stories and or very tongue-in-cheek and sarcastic but um there's a lot of uh he also does callbacks to other other bands that inspired him like i've noticed a lot of um homages or tributes in his home, lyrics to Joshua homages. <laughs> That's right. Homie. 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 Um, yeah. He, again, he, the guy clearly loves music. Um, oh and, yeah. And again, I love, I love his, sleep, his way of including as much stuff as he can. And um, actually just to touch on it. So I don't forget later, but especially I'm designer while mm -hmm. musically it's, it's, it's interestingly like bare bones. It's like they went with the weirdest hollowest tone for that song. 
and I, the, even the track title yeah I'm designer but <laughs> that that's one of his I'm biggest designer. sarcastic just tongue-in-cheek songs but uh, again i'll we'll, we'll touch on that in a moment once we've just kind of gone through the rest of the album stuff because that's yeah that's yeah another quintessential queens of the stone age aspect in my opinion is his choice of lyrics and that kind of thing. Right. So what do you, uh, let's, let's move on to the next LP. Uh, I'm, I have a lot to say about this one. So I'm curious to hear your, uh, point of view first. So we're moving on to like clockwork. I think this is their thirteen. I, yeah. I, as much as I love songs for the deaf, cause it's, it's hard. It hits really good. It's got it's the absolute best. But this one opinion. is an absolute 11 out of 10 masterpiece. Um, I agreed. Okay. We're on the same page. Every single good. track is, is phenomenal. And again, the variety is there because he went even further with the collaborations on this one. Um, yeah. again, the return of, uh, Trent Reznor, um, Elton John was in one of the songs. Um, so again there's some really interesting awesome big names um, and i think i think part of that is because i i think this is important to talk about in the queen's discography even though it was a side project them crooked vultures with yeah. dave grohl and john paul jones of led zeppelin fame so they they so this was a huge gap so era vulgaris 2007 2007 like clockwork 2013 what did I, you in between there yeah i was waiting forever vultures. for this one and then when i heard about them, i thought this vultures. was an absolute masterpiece but this isn't you know we got two ringers we got dave grohl and john paul jones yeah. i've always said john paul so uh full disclosure led zeppelin is my favorite band of all time i'm okay. not sure if you ever knew that i think you told um, me that, i'm yeah. not even sure i'm not even sure my audience knows that led zeppelin is my favorite band of all time period um and John Paul Jones, I've always said, was a secret weapon. Because did you know that, like, all the string arrangements, like in Cashmere, he he arranged those. Yeah. John, John Paul Jones is not only a fucking incredible half of a rhythm section with John Bottom, but um, he he really was a secret weapon. He knew, I think he knew music theory on a level that none of them knew, at, uh, like, couldn't hold a candle to him combined, probably. Yeah, I, I think what, the reason he's the secret weapon is that like to me, like Bonham and um, Jimmy Page come across as like the more self-taught, like get get that instrument in my hands and I'll, I'll rock shit out. And mm -hmm. Bonham comes across as the incredibly studied, like practiced mind. Because again, like Jimmy and Bonham, they would go off on their like solos and like, you know, freestyle this and well, improv they play that. together. They, they were famous for. So Bonham was one of the first big drummers, big rock drummers to follow the guitarist instead of just staying in the pocket with the, the bass player in the rhythm section. So that was huge that they were essentially playing together. And that allowed Robert Plant to sing on top of that. Where, where really John Paul Jones was was the foundation to all of those pieces. Yeah. So, yeah, I think because he was able to solidify what was essentially again like a bunch of crazy power players but again jimmy was specifically just the guitar bonham was just drums and if you think about how also varied um and just long their career was it helps to really understand like yeah bonham was all of the other things a lot of the glue that made them able to do so much stuff in their time of as led zeppelin i uh oh man we oh. let's pull it back yeah i was just <laughs> I, and i was like who i was like we better about? do a novo pullback we better do a mr church pullback because i'm gonna talk like about Lockwork. fucking led zeppelin forever yeah. so well, um yeah like, vultures is worth mentioning and it's fun i did like it but it it didn't do it enough for me so i was anticipating I this it, man. And, oh. and a fun thing too uh, like clockwork when they when the when their website finally got updated to be like promo stuff for like, but you at like least clockwork. see the the um uh, the evolution from something like them crooked vultures to like clockwork. I feel like there was a lot of like what he learned with, with that album. There was, you know, cause uh, this was the biggest production change I've ever seen. Yeah. Usually it's purposeful. Like, this is why I realized like going from like, so, like an album, like, um, you know, Queens LP one, like self-titled to something like era vulgaris, where it's clearly, they wanted that, you know, garage rock sound again. And they purposefully designed it that way. Whereas in the beginning, it was kind of, it was just a byproduct of, yeah, resources and experience and all this stuff. Whereas this one was the complete opposite. Very polished, really thought out tunes. And I mean, we had like everything to a T came together perfectly for this package, in it, my opinion. It really did. I mean, I think especially then, once you've collaborated with so many amazing people, and especially you work with, like again, a legend like John Bonham, um, I think you can't help but just... John take, Paul Jones. I'm sorry. 
Yeah. John Paul Jones. Um, <laughs> I wish John Bonham. I know. Again, I'm sitting here staring at the artwork of the album because I even love it. Uh, the, yeah, the no, yeah. They, so it, fucking cool. Yeah, the, that, that landed. Plim. Everything landed. The, the artwork for me, the sound, the production, the compositions, the instrumentation, the musicality. There was still, they still had that Queen's signature sound, but they, um, they still pushed their themselves you yeah, know they still yeah. evolved what they were already good at and so. i think top three um top three tracks for me from this album are uh vampire of time and memory um yes Colopsia, and smooth sailing actually smooth sailing again just brings back that classic queens just super it's just an octave you know literally just yeah. jamming out but it's like the like i saying very specific combination of the ups upstrokes and downstrokes with the guitar right. parts um um and then there's little bits of variation of the lead guitar here and there um, but then like the fun, when you get to kind of like the chorusy parts, it like the, the drums switch up into like a disco, you bring in that like high whiny, um, tone of the guitar that Josh loved from like, again, earlier days. And yeah. then the solo is badass. The solo is one of the things that I remember being teased and we didn't know, of course, which song it was going to be at the time, but there's a really cool thing with the website when they were started teasing the new album where, you would load the website and it would play three seconds of a random one of like five songs or something. And you didn't mm. know anything about it. So you would just load it up. And I remember that it was, it turned out to be part of the big solo from smooth sailing that uh, I would sit there and just refresh the fucking page over and over again, hoping to hear that over and over mm. again. Um, Cause they did come out with a single before they came out with my God is the sun. So I like that, my God is the sun. I was going to mention that. And, yeah. and again, like uh, it, it's, it, it it almost reminds me too of like uh like a slightly different version of uh uh what's it called um one of the songs for the deaf songs um hope he's blanking uh not songs of it's not songs for the deaf though right no not the actual that one um but there's something about like the way uh it's got like a like the the, the way the big riff just kind of goes all over the song the whole time um it's not I'm it might be you sky's out. fallen uh, actually i think it's sky's fallen so it's you think ain't worth a dollar. No one knows. First it giveth song for the dead. The sky is fallen. Six shooter hanging tree. Go with the flow. Gonna leave you. Do it again. I think God I'm is thinking of radio. sky is fallen. Okay. Because again, there's just something about the, the like the lack one of, of these are gonna click. Yeah. Like once I say it, <laughs> when I go through this fucking track list, it's the lack of the, again just your typical power chords. Because again, sometimes they'll do something so simple, like in smooth sailing, where it's just like boom, bam, bam, boom, bam. Like, yeah, this... they've, they've always had a, like a touch of funkiness. Yeah, so this those, one goes with full funk, sexy fucking song in my opinion. Especially when I we get to it. villains. That's a that's a good segue to villains because that first track is fucking. You want to dance a little bit? Yeah, so, uh, feet don't fail me. Yeah, villains is. I think it's actually tied for me as far as not like just being it's, a very good album because it's, it's solid, but it's yeah, it's I think no like this clock. is them showing their age. Also, interestingly, because. You know, it, it's so funny how that happens with so many bands as you get older and things like soften up in a, in a certain way. But the fact that Josh even literally made a point of being like, I was inspired by swing music. It's like, really, man, <laughs> Mr. Like young punk covered in tattoos, like flannel in the desert. Rock like you're God, talking about going. Yeah, yeah you're going back Golden to like God. going to swing in jazz. But like, it's cool. Like, I actually think a lot of some of the even the even there's there's jazzy pieces from the beginning, I think. You know, I could hear a little bit of jazz influence from the from LP one Queens of the Stone Age. Queens yeah, of the Stone Age. again, the way he messes around with his scales, the way he just fucks with like putting yeah, notes, very, putting notes where they don't weird. belong. Weird I, I get that to an extent. He almost has a weirdly unique kind of rock jazz style because he both, you know, he improvs a lot of his solos. He doesn't exactly write things out like that meticulously. For for doing the deep dive stuff, this was produced by Mark Ronson. So of course, a producer is going to have an influence on the sound of the album. Yeah. Um. So guys, if you don't know who Mark Ronson is, he often works with pop acts. Um. His biggest hit, probably of all time, is with Bruno Mars, and that was with um, Uptown Funk. Yeah. That's his song, Mark Ronson. Um. Not to be confused with a bruno mars song he just sings on it but uh but you know so he's gonna the production i think the producer that they used for this album clearly gave them a little direction and it it, it changed the album in a way it's still that signature queens yeah kind of sound but it it is the other interesting thing like you too, put it like their age or speaking so when speaking of production tactics too is that um I, clockwork is also just to go back to that one that was a a, a a label jump 
they had they had switched ah, to Matador. I didn't know that. So okay. Era Vulgaris was their last one with Interscope. They had been with Interscope from the start. So not only did the production value change a lot, hence again, I think that like Clockwork has like a while still very Queen's sound. Uh, it's it's also notably different and bigger and more polished than ever, which again is very not a very bad thing. polished in a good way. Exactly, I, I actually it, like it the polish. Does they them used. a lot of it, it helps highlight just how damn good their musicians are. It, it does exactly. them. It's a good thing. So same thing with villains. Also high production level, but also again not Josh anymore. Josh produced exactly. like clockwork. Hence they retained the queensiness and again the like collaborations uh, <laughs> of the, the again. Whereas against villains was uh, not as diverse, if you ask me too. Like it was, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a little more um, safe, if you will. You know, a little more uh, straightforward, staying in that in that in that safe space lane. Yeah, and again, like in. not even as many guest musicians and stuff. Like there was just a, a few more people on certain kinds of like backing vocals or like backing strings. But for the most part, it really was just the the core five that you mentioned at the start of the show of Josh, Troy, Van Leeuwen. Dean Fertitta, Michael Schumann, and John Theodore. Right. Uh, whereas again, other ones, you go look through the credits, and again, you've got your you got your girls, yeah, and your girls, and your Trent Reznor's, and your Alan Johannes, and uh, your Elton Johns, like and all these dudes. Yeah. yeah. So again, that's the other very interesting feel that this one, it to me, it didn't feel as good. I'm not as big of a fan, but there are still about three or four songs that do still get me. Feet Don't Fail Me is a great one. I really liked Domesticated Animals. I actually liked Villain's, Villain of Circumstances, which again, you've got your slow outro, slow-ish, like long building outro track that like gains steam over time. Um, so again, it's that's the staple too. I love it. Again, it's just still a thing. It's just- I uh, really very... liked Head Like a Haunted House and Unreborn Again. Yeah, Head Like really a Haunted good. House is interesting. It's like he wanted to go back to his like weird punkier roots or something, um, but it's almost <laughs> like a mad, it's like some kind of insane puppet show is what it makes me feel like. Okay, um, interesting. That the kind of imagery, but it still also has that like that riffiness. Yeah, Uh, it's very fast. It's actually probably one of like the faster songs, even like for stuff like Go with the Flow is actually pretty damn like fast. It just that one just jams on, and you've even got those like that keys just jamming on your E chord in the background almost the whole time. Um, so, uh, yeah, so why don't you, I, I feel like, why don't you take us home? Let's tie a nice bow on this and tell the good people why Queens of the Stone Age are so important. They have been able to, again, just maintain their musical integrity and especially their lyrical integrity. Again, Josh has always been like almost always the main singer. Again, the bassist used to sing some stuff, but Mm -hmm. regardless, um, you'll hear Josh throughout the career. Um, His lyrical influence is very interesting and unique. Um, You know, whether it's very abstract ideas, a little more of, of somewhat of a coherent story or again, just the tongue in cheekness. Um, he, he just sure. he just shines through this band constantly. Like, it, like even on the on the newest album, um, the freaking song I just talked about, domesticated animals. One of his his lines that he he uses the song to play with you a little bit. So the line that goes, "Beat the kids," and then there's like a, a pause, and he goes to the punch. Like, it's <laughs> it's a, just a, it's a joke. He's just messing with you because he's always just had fun. It's a lighthearted yet still heavy take on music and rock. Like it. It never takes itself too seriously, but always takes it more serious than you'd expect it to for dudes that just started out doing a bunch of drugs and just jamming out in the desert. Um, and again, a guy who's clearly friends with like half of the music industry or something. And we, we we didn't talk about this throughout the episode. You know, he also has um, for being, yeah, this, you know, rock god in a way. He sings in a falsetto, which is, is yeah. very unique. He's a and, huge and guy not... with a high pitch. I love it that he's got a higher register. Um yeah. And a lot of falsetto too. Like even if we, even if he sings in his normal range, it's not as low as you would think. Like a six three dude would sing in. And again, you know, the other cool thing too is that he's still done other stuff consistently. He's done plenty of like actual other like scores and songs for soundtracks. Um, it's just it's. I think he just writes and writes and writes. He I literally think, never like, stops. Just, it's just not yeah. all in Queens of the Stone Age. So Queens of the Stone Age is just an amazing modern rock band that is still going is part of why it matters um they're again they're unique as hell in that they're both very simple but still incredibly nuanced once you like give like you know just like any good piece of art you give it a second look or a second listen um and i think again there's somebody that i've been able to revisit for i mean literally decades now again i i remember um again their most prominent thing of course and given just my age and stuff I wasn't yeah. aware of their first album so much, but I will never forget again, like the songs for the deaf songs and the music videos 
uh, stick yeah. out to me. And just ever since then, I've been just more and more of a fan over time. Um, and again, there's the, the myriad different musicians that have gone into this and the people that have worked to make Queens of the Stone Age continue to be such an awesome band uh, says a lot, too. I think that should hopefully put uh, a fine point on just how good some of their music truly is uh, when you really give it uh, a proper chance and listen. Absolutely. Well, there you go. Well put, Mr. Church. I do what I can. Uh, Queens of the Stone Age from top to bottom. And hopefully uh, they're not, uh, they haven't. No, don't be done. They, they're not done. Josh can't. They haven't thrown in the towel He's yet. Not dead yeah. Yet. I, I, I feel like the when I was doing my homework for this episode, I kept seeing little articles dedicated to the fact that there's something in the oven. So we may be seeing a new Queens album uh, in the in the immediate future. But until sure then, so. we got we appreciate you guys for listening. And I want to thank you. I want to thank my host. Mr. Church. Wow. Uh, but before we go, of course, you know, we got a little extra for you, a little icing on the cake, a little cherry on top with what we call the gem of the week. If you don't know what the gem of the week is, if you're new to our show, it's something we like to talk about here at the end of our shows, but doesn't always fit into the scheme of the episode. doesn't always fit the topic, but it's, you know, it's on our radar in the last day, last week, sometimes last month. So we got to give it to you guys so you guys can dig deeper. Before we dive in, uh, we have to tell you about their sponsor, Zencaster. Zencaster is our go-to tool for remote podcast recordings. What's great is that you, you can record separate audio and video tracks, and it's all backed up on a secured cloud so you never lose your hard work. Even better, it's easy to use and there's nothing to download. So go to zen.ai, that's zen.ai slash art of the beholder, or just use promo card promo code art of the beholder and get 30% off your first three months with the pro account. Now back to the gems, my gem, I have two gems, but they're, they're very much connected to each other. Are you familiar with the uh, Netflix show love death and robots? I am. Yes. I, yeah, the, um, third volume just came out recently. I've been a fan of that, of, of this show since the inception guys, if you don't know what love death and robots is on Netflix, it's essentially a animated anthology, um, um, show or a set of volumes or uh, it's a volume with a set of, um, different stories. You know, it could be long, can be short, and they're always usually involving science fiction and and the animation is different too. Sometimes it's cell yeah. shading. Sometimes it's it's three animation, hand drawn. Exactly. Yeah. All exactly. Over the map. Yeah. All over the map. I just finished uh, volume three, and I want to tell you about two shorts that I thought were fucking brilliant. The first one is called Bad Traveling, and literally, <laughs> Philip, this what this is what happened to me through the course of the short. Uh, I won't go over the synopsis. I won't ruin it for you, but it was so good. I, I kept saying to my wife, I was like, who the fuck directed this? Like, this is, like, everything <laughs> was so incredible. And then at the very end, uh, when I see the credits, directed by David Fincher. Oh, so I was like, oh. of, of, of course. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. So uh, if you guys don't know this, maybe you are into Love, Death, and Robots, but you may not know this. So David Fincher has produced the show for years because he wanted to give a voice to all these artists. Because here's a, here's a little uh, uh, Novo Tangent Corner for you, because if you didn't know this, um, David Fincher is not only a director, but he has a long legacy in CGI, special effects, things like that. And they're just invisible. Like there's so many special effects in those movies, especially even when they're real grounded movies like um, Zodiac and stuff like that. There's so many special effects that you just don't realize are there, you know, because it's not these huge, you know, kaiju monsters fighting each other and shit like that. It's just someone driving down the street. Um, so check out Bad Traveling. That's It was excellent. And the second one is called Jabaro. Jabaro is essentially a take on a mythological story involving the mythological creature that is known as the siren. If you don't know what a siren is, a siren is uh, evil is mermaid. Beautiful, yeah, beautiful woman that lures sailors to their deaths. Um, but this one uh, does a spin on it. And um, it's um, this is this is one of those kinds of so this was this was CGI and it was the kind of CGI like Unreal Engine Five CGI where I kept saying to my wife and to myself I'm like okay was this was this like actually shot and then they 
painted over it with CGI or is it CGI to make to look real? I later learned that okay, spoilers, it is completely CGI. They didn't they didn't do like a ri- Richard Linklater, you know, like actually film it like a, a, I'm a big fan of a scanner darkly. If you ever seen that guys, um stars uh, our favorite actor Keanu Reeves mm. and a scanner darkly is completely shot real like they did everything and then they they did cell shading over it to make it look animated yeah super unique and cool yeah it was it was excellent so I thought Jabaro was that way it's completely CGI check it out it is Unreal 5 is insane yeah it, it is it is breathtaking we're there. how close they're getting yeah how close they're getting to picture perfect graphics. we're practically so, there now yeah like we're not for yeah. a few tells when you're looking at somebody that's meant to actually be like there's okay, still a little like, that's valley, not a real human right? But yeah, oh there's my still God, a little environment, uncanny valley else? there. Yeah, a little bit. So wait, were the two were the two episodes were the gems? Yeah, the two. Ep- I mean, there's more episodes in the oh, yeah, volume, yeah, yeah. but I those... haven't seen the new volume, so I'm excited. Yeah, bad traveling and Jabara were. Oh my! Mwah. Sometimes it's Excellent. heavy, and sometimes it's more funny too. Again, like it really spans. Oh it yeah, runs the gamut. There's one that's like a Pixar about like a murderous house helping robot, and then there's some about like underground <laughs> yeah. fighting rings and shit. It's it's I've, season one was yeah. Really some can cool. be like crazy serious. Yeah, some, I, I mean, just know that. Like, don't think that any one episode is definitive of the show. It's it's pretty damn cool. There is one uh, sequel. They're their very first sequel. Oh. Um, if you remember the cute. There was three robots from I think the very very first season. There was like a jive chalking robot. There was like a robot that looked like you know a monolith from um, 2001: Space Odyssey, and then there was like a cute little robot. And they had these little adventures together. Well, there's a sequel to that one in the in the this news. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Fun. Yeah. Um, I sold it. Yeah. You're gonna watch it. Yeah. Uh, In a way, I guess I'll do um, sort of a double gem, but I'll just very lightly touch on one. the new Alex Garland film came out, Men. It's excellent. Yes, I've been, I've been wanting to see that. It is insane. It's good. It's really good, though. It's excellent. Okay. I really horror, liked it. right? Yes, horror. still very horror-y um, and very unique. He kind of did horror with like Annihilation and other stuff. Yeah, to but... an extent, but this one's very different. Or, um, or Ex Machina was kind of Yeah, more horror-y. existential, and then the other one a little more body slash like... Uh, also existentially, but this one's... Yeah. yeah, this one's... It's different from his previous, and but it's still very very like artsy very alex garland and still very good and yet very contained um yeah but a lot to dissect there uh so that's it i guess as a movie i'm just gonna throw men out there it's brand new but uh cool there's a band that i have been getting Ooh. more and more into Ooh. and yeah. i'm actually wondering if you might end up loving them they're called polyphia uh i stumbled I'm, upon them through I'm not familiar yeah i stumbled this upon them happen much. thank you thank you overlords with your spotify algorithm um, they made it <laughs> into like overlords. a yeah they made it into like a for you <laughs> kind of thing off of Spotify but the song grabbed me so much that I was like okay I need more of this and um, it's basically the best way to put it is like they came from an interesting metal meets like video game music in like the best way possible kind of background and have grown over time into doing a lot more depth and like searching with their songs there's no lyrics there's no vocals uh, except for if they ever have like a guest, maybe like there's a couple of songs that have like up, so mostly instrumental, almost completely instrumental. The dudes okay. on the guitar are uh, everyone's a beast. Everyone is a beast. But the main guy is his name is like Tim Hansen or something. Um, he's he. Yeah, he's insane. Uh, they just had a new single come out called Playing God. Uh, it's really cool. And I'm so excited because, of course, with the new song, uh, I think it, it's preceding a new album. And the other reason I think that is because they're touring. So I went ahead and bought myself tickets to their concert here in Atlanta uh, for the end of July. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're Polyph- polyphony. Po- polyphony. Say it again. Polyphia. Polyphia. Like, pol- okay. Yeah. Poly, but like the Fia part of like. Um, ah, got it. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, it's just I, I love very technical, well executed music. Uh, so everybody is just insanely professional, very technical, very. Uh, it's one of those bands too where I'm like, God, I could never do this. Like it's so because there's no lyrics and nothing to keep me on track. I'm like, how do you remember all these notes in this order? Because uh, again, it's it, there's nothing like sloppy or like accidental about it. It's all so like just god tier of like organized and written and structured. So um, especially just seeing how it's things have varied between being a, like heavier, like medley metal in the start, and then them having like really fun like borderline video game soundtrack type of songs, hmm. just being like, this is weirdly upbeat and then the newest one they go to like the new single playing god uh they go like um like nylon strings uh but it still works with just how amazing these dudes are the guitar and how they manipulate their songwriting to match the sound 
And it even has like a really neat breakdown kind of like bridge part with this like really catchy little like melody that's kind of got like a whistle to it too. Like it's it's neat. It's really cool shit. So um, I would strongly recommend checking that out, uh, especially you, Nova, as a, a fellow music lover. Um, but just obviously to everyone listening, uh, Paul Livia is a really great uh, instrumental, like sort of pr- prog metally prog rock like instrumental band. Uh, that I'm super excited to go see next uh, or a month or so from now. Um, but of course, guys, if you like that, you can check out our stuff at NovoDayProductions.com. There you'll find things like the Entropy Sessions, Post Meridium Adulteration, Cancel Culture Lotto, and a lot more to come. Of course, there'll be ads for this show. You can check out our other episodes as well. Uh, so don't forget to like and subscribe, follow, and hit that notification bell. Hit uh, Do all the things. All the things are do fucking them. overlords. It's just clicking. Al- all the algorithms, rate and review, all the shit. If you'd like to sponsor a little love child here you can do so at novodaymedia at gmail.com if you'd like to hire mr church philip church philip church is amazing vocal narration everything whole production house baby yeah how can how can they get a hold of you my yeah i am available at philipchurch.tech uh is a great way to reach out to me i've got a submission form on my website uh there's a little bit of some sample and again that's where my Beautiful, shiny new demo. Uh, it's so yeah. It's uh, philipchurch.tech. Uh, but of course, I'm uh, like, was like the church vo on Twitter. Um, you know, anywhere you find Novo, basically, you'll see my likes and comments typically. Um, so I'm on all of them. But church, philipchurch.tech, Philip with one L. Uh, .tech is probably the most straightforward way to get at me. Thanks, Philip with one L. We appreciate yes. you as always. Thank you, Novo. <laughs> and then, and until next time, guys, be good to each other. And as always, good luck and Godspeed. We love you. Art of the Beholder is brought to you by Novo Day Productions, created and hosted by Novo Day and the Novo Day Collective. Facebook.com slash Novo Day Media, at Novo Day Media on Twitter and Instagram. Music by A Company, Facebook.com slash Aco Music 123, Aco on Spotify. Logo designed by Tom Justice, J E S T U S, of thejusticecompany.com, and executively produced by Clayton Anderson. All rights reserved.